Hi, and welcome to another episode of Economist Corner, a CETA podcast where leading economists break down the latest news and policy updates. I'm Jared Ball, Chief Economist of CETA, the Committee for Economic Development of Australia. Well, it's been another big week as Victoria and South Australia emerge from COVID lockdowns and New South Wales extends its lockdown until at least the end of August. This is all putting an increasing strain on businesses who must shut their doors and workers losing income. After growing pressure, we've seen some big announcements from the Commonwealth and New South Wales governments in the last 24 hours to boost income and cash flow support. To discuss how businesses are coping with this latest round of lockdown uncertainty and disruption, I was joined by Patrick Coughlin earlier this week. He's the chief executive of business credit research firm Creditor Watch, which takes uh, the pulse of businesses, both big and small, across Australia. But first, as always, uh, I'm joined by our chief executive, Melinda Salento, to discuss some of the issues we're thinking about at CEDA this week. Hi, Melinda. Hey, Jared. How are you? I'm I'm good. Uh, I know that we obviously have people uh, listening who'll be in Sydney in the lockdown, but I I must remark that uh, it's nice to um, have an end to the to the Melbourne lockdown at this stage. You know, it is a funny thing how now it's it's like comparing co- uh, lockdown bragging rights or otherwise. You know, you're either doing it tough in lockdown or you've just come out of lockdown. It, it's it's an interesting dynamic of our conversations these days. Well, I think the other difficult thing is having having been through the Melbourne lockdown. Um, I don't I don't feel like bragging at all because I just know how how difficult and challenging um, that extended period of lockdown was, and certainly hope all the best uh, in terms of Sydney getting on top of this uh, Delta wave and and getting back to back to business. Um, we probably should just get right into what's happened in in New South Wales this week. Uh, Melinda, there's obviously been uh, a big announcement yesterday in, in terms of an increase to some of the payments and support. Um, and to that to that end, on the individual side, uh, we've seen an increase to the disaster payments. So people who've lost more than 20 hours uh, of work get $750 a week, up from $600, and that's equal to the original JobKeeper rate that we had last year. Uh, and of course, if you've lost between eight and 20 hours, you get $450 a week. That's up from $375. Uh, and also some additional support, $200 a week for those who are already on Commonwealth income support, but who do uh, some part-time hours. And this is all being provided direct from Services Australia rather than from the employer. Um, then on the business side, we've got a cash flow boost, uh, which is joint funded by uh, the Commonwealth and New South Wales governments. And that is for businesses with turnover up to 250 million uh, who've experienced a 30% drop in turnover uh, who will receive a cash flow boost equal to 40% of payroll. Uh, and of course that's subject to uh, not laying anyone off that payroll. So that's a fair bit of uh, support there. And certainly in terms of the Commonwealth uh, investment at $750 million a week. What's your assessment of this, Melinda, particularly starting with the, the individual side? Uh, do you think that that's enough and, and are there any gaps that you can see in that? Well, firstly, can I say it's good to see that the federal government has um, remembered the storyline of this crisis, which is that 
the V-shaped recovery was underpinned by the significant degree of fiscal stimulus provided. Um, and, and that included uh, money to workers. Um, you know, I think the interesting thing, the JobKeeper originally designed was, of course, to keep people connected um, to their employer. Maybe that's seen as less important now with the unemployment rate where it is. But, but I think the fundamental message is um, they've realised uh, perhaps a little bit later than we might have liked that that, that stimulus really matters. Um, I think it's really important to call out uh, the extension of payments to people who are receiving uh, welfare payments as well. That was a, a big miss. Um, and, you know, certainly organisations like ACOS have really been calling for that. So good to see that. You know, one thing that I think is interesting in the New South Wales context where we are still seeing so many people out in the community while infectious is whether or not the New South Wales government needs to consider a payment for people um, who have to isolate after testing, who, who can't go to work and are losing income as a result. Yeah, I think that's a really good uh, point and obviously very important for vulnerable workers or, or workers in precarious situations or, or casual hours or so forth. Um, that's that's absolutely vital in terms of making sure that people isolate and, and get the testing that they have to. Um, it's interesting that, that there's been this kind of debate about, you know, we need a return of JobKeeper. Between the two kind of sets of mechanisms, both on the individual side and on the business side, it seems like we've got something that might not be called JobKeeper, um, but it does try and provide the support support direct to the individual, but also provide that incentive uh, on employers to keep people on the on the payroll. So I think overall, uh, it's good to see. And obviously, it's it's an easier kind of mechanism, I guess, to to turn off and to target, uh, perhaps than than JobKeeper was. So I think you're absolutely right, Melinda, in terms of just remembering the importance of this to to confidence and certainty. And that was certainly a theme that came through strongly in the discussion that I had with, with Patrick and just, um, you know, the fact that there was so much stimulus last year and the kind of um, boosting of confidence uh, that resulted from all of that stimulus in the economy. And obviously there's not as much of that at the present time. The other question that I have when I, when I look at what's happening, both in terms of the lockdowns, but also the, the kind of income support that's required there, I think to myself, are we spending enough in terms of investing in health infrastructure, including testing, uh, to either reduce the severity of or, or the need for lockdowns at all? Now, I have noticed, uh, and we talked about it last last uh, week, Melinda, around rapid testing, but I noticed you've taken to Twitter on this issue as well. Um, do you think that governments should be really looking closely at this issue of you know, new and innovative parts of the health infrastructure, particularly rapid testing at, at this point in time? Yeah, absolutely. I think they should. I think they should have been doing it for some time, quite frankly. And I know there are different views around when it's effective to be adopting these rapid tests. But, you know, we're now seeing um, this approach being part of the way other countries are responding. Um, I, I think, you know, we got a bit set, um, a, a little bit set and forget in our approach of, you um, a certain type of testing and, and lockdowns, and and I just think we need to show more agility. Um, so, I, you know, I'm not saying they're the be all and end all, uh, but I just find it really interesting that it hasn't been publicly discussed um, and seemingly really hasn't been at the forefront of considerations behind the scenes uh, either. So, 
you know, as we as this virus continues to evolve, I think we have to evolve with it and put everything on the table. And I think the final point that's worth making, Jared, is just, you know, part of my thinking is just influenced by the fact that I think we just need to make um, it as easy as possible for people to do the right thing. Um, the easier it is to get tested, the faster it is to get tested, the more data we have about where this virus is, um, even if it's not perfect, you're still allowing um, modelers and other experts to get information that has valuable insights that helps us do a better job of responding. And, you know, so I just think that's that's where our thinking should be. Well, I, th- I think that's a great, great kind of summarizing point to end on, Melinda, you know, the fact that you want to make it easier and both from an economic and a health perspective, we need to be pulling as many levers or, or using everything in the arsenal um, or putting everything on the table as you uh, describe it. That that seems to be a lesson of the last 12 to 18 months. Um, we absolutely have to throw everything at this. Well, I think uh, that's a good point at which to hear from Patrick Coughlin. Thanks, Melinda. Thanks, Jared. Right, Patrick, thanks so much for coming on the the podcast today. A very interesting time for the economy and unfortunately more lockdowns uh, across the country at the moment. Um, Boy, a few weeks is a long time. We were just kind of basking in a pretty successful economic recovery and and now we're worried about another um, recession or at least a a quarter of negative growth. Um, What are you seeing in the the kind of creditor watch data uh, in terms of, in terms of how businesses are coping at the moment and the kind of level of distress. Yeah. Look, first of all, great, great to be here. Thanks for having me along. Um, you're certainly right. You know, I think the one thing that we've learned through this whole um, journey, I'll call it, since you know, sort of late March 2020, was that things change extremely quickly. You know, like you said, we're cruising along. You know, we're probably in an economic position that wasn't in any. You know. Um, optimistic economist best case scenario just a, just a few weeks ago and all of a sudden, you know, we're plunged back into the debate around JobKeeper and um, Safe Harbor and, you know, job, job losses and whatnot. So, look, we, everything was really positive, of course. We, we, we put every, it seems like every time we put out a release or a, or a significant piece of content, um, the world changes um, very swiftly, which is a shame for our marketing team because they put in a huge amount of effort. But... Um, there's certainly still good news stories out there, which is, I think is important. Let's talk about the negatives initially. Um, plenty of industries under a huge amount of pressure at the moment, particularly construction, but also, you know, retail, um, hospitality, accommodation, transport, postal, warehousing, um, you know, construction sort of taken all of the news, all the news grabs of late, which I feel sorry for everyone else, in particularly in the retail and the hospitality sector, because they've been doing it arguably, you know, tough since April. I guess the other thing is just just stepping back from this um, and and the kind of longer term trends. Obviously, last year we were all looking at the insolvency numbers and and watching and waiting, uh, and of course because of the safe harbors and JobKeeper, which you've you've both mentioned. Um, they were actually surprisingly low. Uh, of course, those things are no longer in place. What's the data telling you as to what we've seen so far? And, and are you expecting to see 
a wave of insolvencies, um, particularly coming out of out of these lockdowns and the fact that we don't have, I guess, the same layers of protection that we did before in terms of income support and safe harbours. Yeah. So obviously JobKeeper, you know, was the primary driver of, um, you know, business, uh, I'll call it success because a lot of businesses were really successful and have been despite the fact that we were in a technical recession um, and, and business survival. And of course, I think Safe Harbour played a part in that as well. Anyone who thinks that, you know, it was all JobKeeper, I think is sort of kidding themselves a little bit there. But, um, you know, we, there was no, there was plenty of talk of, you know, this wave of in, insolvencies, tsunami of zombie businesses, et cetera. And, and I was certainly one of those people on the record and, and Treasury, you know, had, you know, numbers of 200,000 if JobKeeper was removed in late 2020. Um, that, that never eventuated, you know, uh, JobKeeper came to an end, Safe Harbour came to an end and, and around the end of March and, and there was no, you know, significant hit initially and and what we sort of expected was this sustained increase in you know payment defaults and and um insolvencies which are you know the obvious um indicators of delinquency and and it sort of started to happen the june the june quarter um the insolvencies were certainly up on on the on the on the um, march quarter and, and also on the june quarter the year before um, and we were starting to see an increase, um, but that's all changed, of course. And, and typically what we found is these, these leading indicators of business failure, um, it's, it's an upside down world when it comes to data. Like, like you said, you were in the middle of a you know, pandemic and recession and you expect defaults and, and insolvencies to increase. And the fact is that they're still well down on pre-COVID numbers or, or 2019 numbers. Um, and it'll take some time for them to get back to their normal levels. And I think it's important, you know, that they do get back to their normal levels because, um, you know, a, a world without insolvency or the potential for insolvency just means that, you know, debtors can sort of um, run riot and do what they want. So you've got to have that, you've got to have that stick that's, um, that's operating out there. One of the, one of the big reasons for the lack of insolvencies um, and court actions out there is the fact that, the ATO and the banks being, you know, the, the, the biggest creditors in Australia simply haven't gone back to their normal collection rhythms. They're basically doing their normal sort of collection uh, process up until they would usually put a company into administration, wind them up, that sort of thing. So they're, they're certainly very much still on the Team Australia bandwagon um, and, and, and any plans for them to, to start getting back to those harder um, collection techniques are certainly on the back burner, I would say, for, for the rest of the year now with what we're going through from a um, lockdown perspective. Um, what are we expecting to see? Look, I think we'll actually see the numbers um, flatten out again in terms of defaults and administrations while everyone um, works out what they're doing and, and how they're going to get through. The, the calls for a, you know, a JobKeeper 2.0 um, are only going to continue to grow. And the, the big the big thing that we're hearing is just that, that lack of certainty or, or the uncertainty around, you know, pre, pre this lockdown, it was when are the borders opening? How do we keep them open both, you know, nationally and, and internationally? But now it's when are we going to come out of lockdown? When is construction going to open back up? When can we start sitting outside, you know, at, at restaurants, for example? when can people start going back to the offices? You know, no one can plan directors and small businesses and 
companies in general are just saying we can't plan for anything with all of this uncertainty out there and that that's the number one we're actually running a survey at the moment that, that that's the sort of leading um issue for for directors and business owners at the moment is is the, is the lack of certainty you know if they if they want to hire if they want to invest if they want to you know expand and grow and buy other businesses they, they need they need certainty that they're going to be supported and, and at the moment you know it's anyone's guess as to what's going to happen in sydney or new south wales in particular at the end of this week you know let's talk about mid-september lockdowns continuing till till mid-september so um it, it's certainly hard to be a business owner and plan um and then for small business owners you know that they, they've certainly burnt through their savings um and and are, are living you know really day to day i would suggest at the moment because the money that's being offered by um by the government certainly isn't isn't nearly enough um when you compare it to what was on offer um you know last year through JobKeeper. and you've made a few really important points there i think i think one about the you know, collection rhythms as you, as you describe them, which I'm not sure that too many people have been, have been talking about um, that explicitly. I think that's an important point. And obviously what we're seeing in, in Sydney and, and particular kind of impacts on, um, you know, sectors like construction and, and small business uh, in some of those sectors where, where cash flow is obviously king. Um, what are you seeing in terms of, in terms of small business? Um, obviously, you know, particularly vulnerable. Um, and as you say, you know, savings are being eroded. Um, just how difficult are things for them uh, at the moment? Um, for small businesses, it is, you know, words like catastrophic and dire, you know, come to mind because, um, you know, they're, they're only due to get access to some of the that, that new sort of support stimulus. I think it's this week or next week, you know, that, that that's, that there's a big question mark over um, how, how they actually get access to it. JobKeeper seemed to be quite simple, but um, you know, our, our, our experience with businesses that we're speaking to is they don't really know what to do and they don't know how much they can get. Um, you know, small businesses generally have, uh, you know, between four weeks and, and probably, you know, 12 weeks of, of savings. A lot of that would have been chewed up early last year when, um, you know, Corona first hit. And then, you know, they probably would have been using that, any savings that they did have once they came through, you know, to the end of JobKeeper to, to either start building the business up, whether it was buying stock or, or hiring more people, um, you know, that their savings were, were certainly at, you know, you know, somewhat diminished. Um, and now, you know, particularly businesses in Sydney are sort of what week, week four of, of, of lockdown, you know, you'd imagine that most savings um, would have been used up by now. Um, the other challenge for them is whether they let go of staff or not, you know, because this, we, we know that um, we will bounce back from this. The, the economy was in arguably in a better position, you know, in June, um, this year than it than it was pre pre COVID. So that the, the challenge is, do they you know do they stand people down? Do they hold on to them? What do they do with them? Because when this lockdown does come to an end, um, you know, the expectation will be that the economy you know gets back on with it, and, and which is which is great news. But it's the challenge between now and then. And in terms of you know, you've just been talking about the fact that there's this uh, issue around delays in, in getting some of the assistance. Do you think in the, in the business instance, that is the difference between say the ATO 
you know, kind of administering uh, funds versus versus state governments? Is it, is it the, I guess the level of payment is one issue, but then also the mechanism by which that's distributed seems to have a big impact in terms of that, you know, that immediacy of, of getting it out to people. Yeah, that, that's a, it's a really good point. Um, the, the, the benefit of JobKeeper was that it actually encouraged you to keep jobs, hence its name. Um, and the fact was that because it was paid through the ATO and, and, and the business, it meant that they held on to, um, they held on to staff in order to pay that and to get those funds through the business, which, which was, you know, really beneficial and, and very clever. Um, whereas now it's, um, it's not set up that way. There has been an argument from the government that, you know, to, to date, they've obviously resisted, you know, calls for JobKeeper to be reintroduced. However, um, that the funds that are being provided now are equivalent to what was being provided late in JobKeeper, right? That I think that second or third tier down um, for people who have lost their jobs, for example, or been stood down or lost 20 hours or more. Um, and, and ultimately the economy was essentially open at that stage, right? All the businesses were open. People were in the office. You know, it was a normal sort of trading conditions. Whereas, um, where we find ourselves, particularly in New South Wales, is we're all locked down. Businesses are closed. There's no foot traffic. So um, the, the, the circumstances are completely different, um, which, which, is, which is really hard for, for businesses. And, and that's certainly, you know, not enough funds to be um, keeping people either um, employed or supporting those who have lost hours or their jobs to actually make payments, you know, be it rent and food and, and schooling, et cetera. The other, the other thing to consider is the fact that it wasn't just lockdown businesses. You know, there were so many, there were hundreds of thousands of, of, of companies out there that had access to, to JobKeeper. There was all of this job seeker money flowing around that not just lockdown or unemployed people had access to money. Essentially most businesses <laughs> took advantage of JobKeeper in one way or the other. And then plenty of, plenty of businesses out there that probably shouldn't have had it, but did have it. And the fact was there was all this liquidity within, within the, um, the economy and, and everyone was, you know, spending. Um, and, and that really supported that, that, that quick rebound and that, that growth out of um, the recession that we saw that, that certainly is, isn't the case now. It's, it's really a lot more targeted. Therefore there's less money around. So um, it's, you know, it, there's, there's, in my mind, there simply isn't enough, money out there for businesses that are struggling and, and, and also for um, people that have lost their jobs or been stood down or, or had reduced hours. That, that is the challenge. And, you know, I think everyone in New South Wales and, and Australia is, is under the impression that, you know, we're going to be locked down for, and, and I'm in Sydney, are going to be locked down for another four weeks, maybe six weeks, you know, that, you know, that's, that's, that's the general, consensus within the media and, and you talk to people on the street and, and it's like, well, that makes sense. You look at the numbers in Victoria and what they went through. So when do we, when do we get the support from, you know, whether it's New South Wales or federal government um, to, to support us through those, you know, four to six weeks, if we can't keep going week to week and, go, and then eventually they go, yeah, okay, well, it's going to be another four weeks and you know, people have been without funds for six weeks by that stage. You make a really good point around, you know, the level of stimulus that was sloshing around in the economy last year when we were dealing with some of these things, particularly um, here in Victoria where I am. And you also paint an interesting picture, I think, around how that 
impacts on confidence, but also the level of uncertainty that there is at the moment. And and I've been surprised, I have to say, through the last 12 months, despite all of the uncertainty, and perhaps this goes to the stimulus point, the fact that consumer and business confidence had been so resilient, whereas now I think you know that uncertainty has a real uh, impact in terms of eroding some of that confidence. Is that uncertainty what you would see as the, the number one risk to business um, at the moment, I'm assuming it must be it must be uncertainty based on those surveys that you've been doing. It, it certainly is. You know, the business owners, whether they're big or small, are sitting there going, "Well, how long are we going to be in this? And what support am I going to get?" And they're just they're sitting there with their hands up in the air, going, "I, I don't know what to do because I don't have the information." Right? That that lack of information from from our leaders. Um, is really what is causing so much confusion and concern and lack of um, lack of movement from business owners because they just don't know how to prepare for the future. And and we're not talking about the next twelve months. We're talking about the next six six weeks, maybe eight weeks. You know, they just need some certainty to go. Hey guys, we're going to be locked down for another six weeks. Okay, now I know what I'm up against. I'm going to, I'm going to have to talk to my staff and go, I'm going to, I'm going to stand you down for six weeks or, or I'm going to stand you down for four weeks. Or I'm going to give you, you know, you're going to go down 50% of, of the, the hours that you were working before, but it's, it's a six week process because that's what the government's come out and said. Whereas at the moment they're going, well, I don't, do I hold people? Do I, do I get rid of them this week? Cause I can't, I just can't afford to pay them, you know, and I can't afford to pay myself and, and, and every, and all my other, you know, bills that are coming in. So I lay them off and then three or four days later, we go, okay, we're opening back up next week. And they go, oh, I've got to grab all my staff back before, before another, another um, you know, business grabs them. You know, one of the biggest problems we had pre this current lockdown was access to, was access to, um, to labor, whether it was skilled, unskilled, it didn't matter. You know, there were hotels out there saying, oh, we could be at 80, 90% capacity, but we haven't got enough staff. So we're at sixty percent capacity. Um, you know, there's this there's this huge um, grab for talent in 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 the tech world, for example, because you know there's there's no there's no overseas um, you know skilled labour coming in. You know, there's there's so many industries at the moment that are struggling with hiring people. So you've got that challenge where businesses at the moment, because of that uncertainty, just they don't know what to do, and and every day is you know dollars just just not being wasted, of course, you know, pe- people are the most important thing in any business, but you know, if, if they don't, if they don't know what they can do or when they can do it, or that, 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 that certainly that you're talking about is, is without a doubt that the number one issue that um, business owners and managers um, are facing at the moment. Well, it's interesting, you know, you refer to this kind of mix of having to quickly ramp up, having to quickly ramp down at times um, and, and these kind of, you know, artificial bubbles of demand that we've got that are really strong in particular sectors when we open up at different points and close borders. It's it's a really difficult uh, mix for business to to deal with at the moment. Um, Patrick, I'm conscious that we've we've we probably haven't had the most uplifting, positive yes. conversation. Yes, and, I agree. And, I'm, you know, I'm glad you were going there because I was going to go there as well. <laughs> that, is, that, is, that is perhaps reflective of, you know, the current circumstances that we're in. Um, but uh, 
as I did last year uh, when I did these podcasts, I always tried to end on a positive note. And I'm interested in in what you see as, you know, perhaps some of the kind of hidden upsides uh, in the in the economy at the moment uh, that might help. And, you know, perhaps some of those things like increased uncertainty, increased uncertainty might turn to greater certainty as as the virus kind of um, makes its way through uh, the community in the, in the next kind of little while. But um, interested in your thoughts on that and 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 where we might um, perhaps find some silver linings in in coming months. Yes, yes, definitely. And look, I you know last year in particular was very negative, and I and I really went into twenty twenty one with a with a um, a forced positive mindset. You know, I wanted to find those um, those silver linings and, and talk about the good things. So I'm I'm glad you you brought it to this. So there 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 is plenty of really good signs out there, and and not just. Um, before this lockdown came, but but also in, in the in the current lockdown, like so, if we look at before the lockdown, obviously the economy was booming. You look at GDP numbers, you look at um, unemployment numbers, you know, all all basically above, you know, pre pre COVID numbers, which which is fantastic. And the share market's no different. I think it was a record on Friday last week. Um, so what what we see is we we've got a fantastic base that we're we're we have underneath us whenever whenever this lockdown does end we are we are starting from a really high good quality economic base um which will enable um new south wales and and the, and the other states and the other industries that are affected to, to bounce back really really quickly um i ran some numbers on you know victorian um, businesses that that have gone into administration and despite the fact that they were locked down for 112 days last year um we haven't seen an increase in the in the uh, proportion of Victorian businesses going into administration compared to, you know, the year before or the year before that, right. There was, there was like a, a 1% increase. So we didn't see this huge increase in administrations of Victorian businesses, which is, which is really, really positive. You know, I think everyone would have expected that not to say it couldn't, you know, it might take 12 months, but it, you know, it hasn't, it hasn't happened. And, and that's a, that's a real positive. And, and again, back to my earlier point being supported, extremely well by the banks and the ATO and there's no reason that can't continue that they can't continue to provide that support for, for some time to come, which is great. So that, that's, so that's a big positive. Um, there's still, you know, a huge amount of savings out there in, in particularly in consumer um, uh, bank accounts, which is great. They're not going to be traveling internationally for some time. And we know that as a result of that, they've been spending that locally, which, which is, um, which is great news for the Australian economy. One of the stats that we see um is credit inquiry. So that is businesses applying for credit with, you know, another business or businesses, you know, performing a search on, on, on a potential debtor to, to provide credit. So pe- companies are out there applying for credit. Um, creditors are out there assessing credit. You know, that, that for me is what I call the heartbeat of, of trade. Um, and, and we're at record, we're at record months. And I think, you know, We've seen like nine months in a row now of of, um, of increased credit inquiries. So there's continued um, support out there to provide credit, which is extremely important, of course, because um, otherwise, you, you, you know, you're really putting a lot of pressure on on cash flow. Um, we've seen a an increase in the number of um, finance inquiries and and the amount of finance and and the num- and, and the volume of finance. Um, increasing that that really came off through COVID because understandably businesses didn't want to take on any debt, particularly with the uncertainty as to how long it would go for. But 
that has certainly turned around um, in in 2021, which is great because it means that you know businesses are do have an eye on the future and, that, and they are investing and, and they're taking some risk, which is which is good. There's no reward without risk, as we know. Um, so so I think that's that's really important. Um, ultimately, this 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 lockdown will will come to an end. You know, whether it's six weeks or eight weeks, um, once we once we get a bit of certainty around an end date, um, we know that businesses will start to take advantage of that. They'll have, um, they'll have a more confidence to, to invest and, and hire again and, and bring people back on full time rather than, you know, potentially the, the you know, the, the, the reduced hours that they've got them on at the moment. Um, so, so like I said, and like you said, there's, there's, there's plenty of positives out there at the moment in the market. Um, it's just a matter of getting through this this sort of short term. I don't want to call it a hiccup because it's certainly bigger than that. And there's a lot of people out there and a lot of businesses out there doing it extremely tough. But I think we've seen um, how resilient Australians are, um, how Australian how, how resilient um, Australian businesses are that will be able to bounce back from this very quickly. Um, and you know, we know that once once summer comes around and and people are able to go back out again and go to restaurants and cafes. They, they do that really aggressively once they've been, when they've been locked down for a period of time. So the, the money will start to flow back through to those uh, industries that have, that have done it really tough. Um, but I, but I think that they just need an extra, you know, extra bit of support to get them through the, the next couple of months. Patrick, um, I think that's a really good note to end on, but I think you've, you've given us a really, you know, good perspective on both sides, you know, the hard reality at the moment for a lot of businesses dealing with the uncertainty uh, and, and, you know, erosion of activity as a result of lockdowns, uh, but also some of the long-term fundamentals that, that still look good. Uh, and hopefully we can look through the, the kind of current hiccups, as you say, and, and um, look to better, better times ahead. Thank you so much for uh, coming on the, on the podcast and sharing your um, insights. No worries. Thanks for having me. It was, uh, it's always great to have a chat about these things. And um, yeah, I really appreciate the time.